Welcome to the fourth episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners. This podcast is a production of Startup Space, an entrepreneurship community building platform. I am your host, David Ponraj. In this podcast, we will speak with some of the leading voices in the field of inclusive entrepreneurship and learn from their best practices to apply in our own communities as practitioners. Today, we'll be speaking with Felicia Hatcher. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So uh, I've just been talking to you and so fascinated by some of the stories you've been telling me, and we wanted to capture that. Could you start by just talking about your work today and how it's evolved and where it came from? Sure, sure. So my name is Felicia Hatcher. Um, I am the executive director and one of the co-founders of the Center for Black Innovation, uh, formerly Code Fever and Black Tech Week. Uh, we've been uh, running the organization for six years now based in Miami, and we started off as a coding and startup school when Miami's startup ecosystem was just sprouting up, and it was not inclusive of the Black community. And my husband and I were entrepreneurs um, running a food business at the time. I knew that we weren't going to be in the popsicle business forever or the gourmet artisanal popsicle business forever. And I also knew that the young people that were working for us weren't going to be in the business either. Uh, for long. And so we wanted to train them in what we thought were the most marketable skills possible. So we started to teach them how to code. Uh, and then we quickly realized that we didn't want to be a train and pray organization. You know, you're training and then you're praying that there's a job, an internship, a business opportunity on the other end of like training these young people, essentially just kind of leaving them on this really hype cliff, right? Like they're all excited, but what's next? And, um, you know, the young people didn't know how to navigate this, the Miami startup ecosystem. It was, again, it was just sprouting up, but the programs that we needed to send them to or wanted to send them to that recognized their culture as an asset um, and then can help navigate them on what the next steps just did not exist. And so I think like a lot of entrepreneurial people, we set out to create it, right, and start it. And it was, it was a really interesting time for us because not only was that happening, but we were also thinking about like what we wanted to do and not even like the impact that we wanted to leave David, we weren't thinking that far ahead, but we really just wanted to help them. And then we also wanted to almost kind of create what we didn't have when we got VC funding for our business. Like we didn't have a community. I had no one in my family that was like a lawyer that could quickly look at a term sheet, save us some money, point us in the right direction. I didn't even have anyone in my network at the time in my immediate network that had even gotten outside funding for their business before. And so all of those things did not exist. And I think like a lot of people that end up supporting entrepreneurs, you try to create the community or the space that you hope existed at the time where you were kind of going through your go through. And like, that's all where like Code Fever came from. Uh, that's what ended up, a lot of those reasons why Black Tech Week ended up existing was trying to be a magnetic force for the resources that are needed for Black entrepreneurs to not only be celebrated for the work that they're doing, uh, find a community of like-minded people, uh, find some people that value their community, their genius, their excellence, uh, their grit, their grind, and their hustle, and then all the other resources that are needed to accelerate what they were doing. Like that has always been our goal for, for kind of creating that convening. And then everything else that has come out of that. But um, earlier this year, we acquired an organization out of Chicago called Black Tech Mecca. And um, so not only are we continuing to do our work under the Center for Black Innovation, but we are adding a research and a think tank component because we just really feel like there's a lot of anecdotal 
um, decisions that are being made about black entrepreneurship and black communities. And we want those decisions to be more data-driven. We want that funding to be more data-driven. We want our policymakers to actually be able to validate the, the asks that are coming or the policies that need to be made to better support not only our communities, but Black entrepreneurship and what high growth truly actually means in our cities. And so that's what I've been working on, David. It's been a lot under this quarantine, uh, but that's kind of where we are right now. Wow, that's a lot. So give us a little bit more insights into what... Uh, this inclusive ecosystem looks like? And what did you do to actually put these pillars in place? Ooh, a lot. How long have we, we had this podcast? <laughs> as long uh, as you need. Right? <laughs> a lot. It's, it, again, it's been six years, right? So it's a lot of trial and error, um, a lot of getting some things right and getting a lot of things wrong. But for us in the very beginning, you know, the, the funny way, funny thing that how Black Tech Week actually got started, not just with kind of like this moment of obligation that we found ourselves in of saying like, hey, this is a really, really big problem. Um, not a lot of people recognize that this is a problem, but we see this as a problem and we want to be able to either create solutions or pathways like to solve this thing. It was telling you like, earlier before we started recording, like I'm an Echo and Green fellow and, and Echo and Green uh, which is like the largest whatever for social entrepreneurs across the globe fellowship. And we there's this thing that's like your moment of obligation. And it's when you realize that there's a really big problem. And when you look around and you say, if not me, then who? And you can't answer that, like who else can do this question, uh, this problem or solve this problem. It's your personal moment of obligation to say, I need to do this. Um, and if I'm not going to do this. I have to be okay with this problem not being solved in my community or the world. And it continues to fester and negatively impact like people, places and things that, that you hold of high value, right? It's, it's that. Um, the other part of that is also asking yourself, like based off of the work that you're doing today, uh, do you feel that the world will be different 100 years from now based off of what you're doing today? Um, and this is a really weighty question, right? Because it's, I think it's the same question that at one point, maybe Martin Luther King or Gandhi asked themselves, like the work that they did, um, they did not see the fruits of their labor during their lifetime. And as a leader, they had to be okay with continuing to put one step in front of the other every single day, inching away at the impact, maybe not even seeing any of like, anything move, the needle shift, but also still waking up and going out every single day. And I think as entrepreneurs, we realize that. I think as you know, um, entrepreneurial support organizations and organizers, you have to realize that and live with that on this whole other level. And that's where we were right at that time of, of starting the work that we were doing. That's where we were with Black Tech Week as well. It's just like, hey, we have young people that we're training and supporting and we don't want to be a train and pray organization like we want to train them and we don't want to pray that there's some sort of opportunity that will exist that will manifest itself after the six-week boot camp and we couldn't ensure that and so we had to create that opportunity that pipeline um, that magnetic force the resources even just them mentally seeing themselves in that space um, David, the other part of that is there was a, I think it's some Harvard study, I don't remember, but when you say a Harvard study, it sounds really cool, right? Um, I don't remember where the study came from, but you guys can look it up. But it pretty much said, like, if you want to increase the number of um, essentially people of color, but Black people that are hired, you first have to increase the number of Black entrepreneurs or the number of entrepreneurs of color, because we are more than likely um, 
going to give that first opportunity to someone that looks like us or from a background, whereas in other opportunities or other places or other people that don't necessarily look like them and have the same lived experiences may overlook them or pass them up for someone else. And so both of those tides kind of need to rise all at the same time. And that also became one of the big reasons why we started Black Tech Week is to create that magnetic force um, here in South Florida and then bring it to the nine other cities that we've brought it to over the past uh, two years. So this is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> just listening to you sounds like a lot of work. What's your inspiration? And uh, are there stories in your community? Uh, is this something from your past? What keeps you motivated to wake up every day and do this really hard work? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I would love to say like, there's this one thing that gets me up every morning, but the honest, like to be very honest, some days I don't, I can't, right? I like, I literally have to sit in the bed for a few hours or take the day off because it is, it is very exhausting work, right? And we run, we run a lot of programs. Not only do we still run our coding programs because they're really, really still important um, in the school districts and then with nonprofits. And then we also run a co-working space and urban innovation lab, right? That we've run for the past three years. We have our VC and residence program that gives entrepreneurs access to their, their first entry point into a VC and mentorship with, with a VC. And I was telling you, like, before you can solve for, like, funding, you got to solve for access, right? We got really brilliant people with their heads down that are under-networked, and they don't know how important that is to navigate, to then have those relationships that then at some point turn transactional or turn into a check or a trusted introduction. And so that part has to be built up first. Um, and then Black Tech Week, like I said before, and now, like, you know, everything that we're transitioning with Center for Black Innovation. And so... And then I'm a mom, <laughs> I have two kids and a whole marriage and other, like a whole other business that I run. And so two businesses that, that I run. So it is a lot, um, but I think that is also what it means to be a dreamer um, and to be something one that's really optimistic, but life will punch you in the gut doing this work. Uh, and it has punched me in the gut more times than I can ever imagine. And so I've been a real, I'm a big fan of the Nat Ministry on Instagram. I don't know if you follow them, but everyone should follow them. It's really, really funny, but it's just get your rest. Um, and I'm not one of those people. And I, well, I stopped doing that. It was just like, oh, I'm going to stay up till three o'clock in the morning. going to wake back up at six because I like love this so much. So like, no, I'm going to pass out and I'm going to burn out. And um, you have, so you have to get your rest. And what keeps me motivated are my kids. I have a six-year-old that is telling everyone she's already seven. <laughs> and my son just turned two last week. And it's, it, it is like wanting to build a community and a city and, and, uh, um, and people and places that um, they will be able to fully participate in and whatever they want to do can truly be actualized in their lifetime. And they're not going to have to have as many no's or doors shut in their face as I have or my husband has it. It really truly is that. Um, but then for everyone else that looks just like them um, and that has that same journey and, and, and passion to want to do something or try something or create something or, or build something, it's, it's definitely that. And I think our, my work is layered because not only do I get to play in what's oftentimes is really fun startup space, the also reality is I'm raising black kids and I'm a black entrepreneur and there are major social justice and um, inadequacies that we also have to tackle with, with our work 
And that also keeps me up at night and not in a good way, right? So it's like trying to tackle both of those things at the same time are the things that keep me motivated and also the things that keep me up at night. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about, you know, social justice, talking about where you come from, where you've started. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, uh, recently, we've started talking about even tilting the playing field to mm-hmm. make sure that those on-ramps exist. What are some of these programs you've launched or even little things that you do that you've kind of picked up on that help your community that our practitioners can say, you know what, we need to bring these onto our communities to actually make a difference? Yeah, um, quite a few, right? And so I, I would say the VC in residence program is something that so- it sounds so much sexier than it really is. Like I, I tell people, people are like, oh, what is that? And I'm like, no, it's, it's literally giving people access. It's literally hacking trust. And if I can say, and we've been to, I've traveled all over the world based off the work that I've done and all I've been to every state in the United States and even with our work in like nine or 10 in 10 states, um, Miami has taught me the biggest lesson in that people do not trust people. Um, and so it's very hard for entrepreneurs of color to actually navigate this space. And it's really weird for me to say that to someone that's not, I mean, you live, you're, you're in Florida, so this, but for a lot of people that don't, there's this picture that it's an extremely, extremely diverse space. And it is by default, right? Um, we're fueled by immigrants. My mom comes from Jamaica. So like, it's just, you have like this certain kind of hustle and small business, um, but entrepreneurial out of necessity uh, more than like the sexy entrepreneurship that has popped up over the past five years. But it's diverse by default and not necessarily by intention. And that is the part that we really have to work around. And so what happens and from our experience and why um, true equity and building more competitive uh, spaces where, where people can truly thrive and get the opportunities they need are so important is because, you know, we run a conference for six years. We have people that um, truly align with like the mission of celebrating innovators of color and ridding communities and innovation business and all of that. But then you also have a lot of people that have come on our stages, done their thing, um, promised our black entrepreneurs the world and never pick up the phone again. And that does so much more harm than it does good. And so a large part of why we started the VC and residence program was, was that like, are you really truly committed to helping our entrepreneurs, advising them, and then like opening up your Rolodex? I sound really old saying that, right? Like like, reaching into your contacts and saying, I know five people that I can introduce you to and and, and really like champion and and vouch for this person. We need more of that, right? And then people writing checks, of course. But before you get to that point, there's this whole other gray area that I don't think enough people were paying enough attention to. And so we started to pay attention to that. And it was just like, we wanna give black entrepreneurs their first access point to an angel investor or a VC to really sit down and, 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 and have someone really skilled look at what you were doing. And then make those introductions, like make real, real introductions and don't go star people because a lot of that happens at conferences, right? And so um, that's, that's one of our biggest programs. And we've been able to see a few entrepreneurs get accepted into Techstars who we partnered with on a few occasions for Black Tech Week. Uh, we partnered with Samsung Next when we did Black Tech Week LA and, um, and we partnered with them to help them get introduced to more Black female founders. 
And uh, one of the ladies, uh, she did not get funding, but she actually got a contract with Samsung Next, which was really cool. Which is even better, huh? Right, right, right. Yeah. Good old customer funding is <laughs> like right. still the best yeah. kind of funding. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we worked with, um, uh, I'm losing their name right now, Barclays in, in New York and ran a fintech uh, conference with Black Tech Weekend there. And Ashina from Capway ran won four thousand dollars in our pitch competition, and then you know an entrepreneur got um, like a, a seat into like their fintech accelerator. And so like we've seen things happen and shifts happen that would not have happened otherwise, right? Um, Carib Shopper in, in here in Miami, uh, two brothers who are just awesome. I like I love them. Uh, uh, they have a, 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 a kind of a fintech solution. Uh, connecting the Caribbean to being able to like make U.S. purchases because that was a problem, and they had applied I think to TechStars two or three times, could, could not get, did not get in, could not get in, and um, when the year we partnered with them, they got accepted into TechStars, right? Like they got FaceTime with people that they did not have a relationship with, and then were able to get into the program after applying year after year and not getting in. Um, we've had entrepreneurs that we were able to connect with 500 stars, like it's. It's that, but we as like entrepreneurial um, support organizations, we had to build up our brand enough so that people answered our phone calls so that we could actually support those entrepreneurs when they lack the connections, right? And so it's building more of that, right? It's holding people accountable when they say they want to support entrepreneurs and making sure that they don't ghost entrepreneurs. The worst thing that you can do is like put someone here and then not deliver on what you promise. It's the same thing of like promising a five-year-old kid something, right? Forever, they will remember how you disappointed them forever. And so, um, but the other part of that is also making sure that you're building spaces where people, they care if they disappoint Black people and Black entrepreneurs. And that has also been something that I've seen in too many spaces and too many programs that have been built. Oh, oh, you know, we'll think about them afterwards. Um, or, you know, I, I'll never forget, and I won't call this person's name out, I'm not that messy, but I remember being in a city and asking them about, like, what are they doing to support Black entrepreneurs? And they were just like, we're building the ecosystem first, and then we'll think about that afterwards. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That is the worst thing that you can do. Um, you have to be thinking about diversity and inclusion in the very beginning as you're building your startup ecosystem. You, when we talk about, and everyone was on this train for a few years, David, you know this, and I, you know, we're all guilty of saying it, like, I'm trying to reproduce like Silicon Valley. Like, no, there were a lot of problems with Silicon Valley that you don't want to produce and bring into your city. So it's definitely that. Um, I, I think there's some really amazing programs that are out there as well. Um, Dominic Artis with Act House, I think what he's building around kind of like this residential model of putting entrepreneurs together and connecting that with university systems, I think is like absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, what Shelly Bell is doing with Black Girls Ventures and again, solving from, for the funding issue, I think is also really brilliant for a, for, for a group of entrepreneurs that, you know, two years ago, you couldn't open up a magazine or ink or like a website and not see that Black women represented the fastest growing sector of entrepreneurship. And then what I, I always thought was interesting, two, two things that I thought was interesting, and that is the power of why storytelling and authentic storytelling about Black entrepreneurs is so important because most of the articles, and we, well, we've been studying these, right? They would celebrate them and then in the same article, tear them back down. 
Uh, they represent the fastest growing sector of new entrepreneurs, but they don't hire anyone. And so their businesses don't scale. And I'm like, well, what, what was this article supposed to do, <laughs> right? Um, and then it's the same thing where you see articles about like black founders and they'll talk about the black founder, but it always prefaced their work by saying there's only 1% of them that exist or only 1% get funding. Why, why even tell that story? Why can't the black entrepreneur or the female entrepreneur or the indigenous entrepreneur or the LGBTQ entrepreneur stand on their own two feet as the innovators and geniuses that they are with their work? Why does it always have to be, I'm gonna give you something and then I'm immediately going to take it away. I'm always gonna preface your work in the negative or the lack. How do we move forward like that? If that is always a story that we tell. I played sports most of my life. Like I, you wanna be on a winning team. And if you change the narrative from an asset framing standpoint, instead of always talking about these areas in the deficit or these people in the deficit, I think that's when you really start to see a shift and change in how they are also supported because they are valued as innovators and not this charity case or this thing that I just need to support one time. And support doesn't mean anything because support is fleeting. I gave you a check, I made a phone call, I don't ever have to visit you again. Um, I don't ever have to look at what you're building as a commerce decision that I make on an ongoing basis because I value your work enough to say that this is something that fits within my lifestyle and that I can make an ongoing commitment to doing business with. Those are the shifts that I wanna see start happening and those are individual shifts and those are also community and city and process shifts that also need to happen all at the same time. Wow, absolutely. Uh, you bring back a lot of uh, other conversations we've had with other cities where there's so much intentional inclusivity that they're planning. Uh, have you seen any other cities like Miami doing work that you're like, wow, that's something that uh, should be captured and kind of replicated? Yeah, you know what? I, we can't have a conversation about Black entrepreneurship not, without mentioning Atlanta, right? And I think Atlanta gets a lot of things right. They get a bad rap on some stuff too. But I think, you know, if we go back to funding, if we go back to success stories, uh, those two things you have to give Atlanta credit for. Uh, if you go back to the university systems and how, um, you know, startup culture and entrepreneurial support is integrated all throughout the ACU and what that output actually looks like, that's important. That's also success. You know, you can look at very visual um, and high profile startup founders that have raised either significant money, they've built companies, they go back and invest. You talk about Jewel Burks, you look at Paul Judge, like, and there's a long list. Like those things are important because in a lot of ways they still validate that output is possible within a city and an ecosystem. And so, I, I, and then there's just a lot of programs and there's a, there's a lot of ecosystem builders in Atlanta. And I think in some other cities, you may only have one, you may only have a handful, but you're talking about servicing thousands of people within a startup ecosystem. And so you need more than one person, you need more than one approach. And so I think for all the different layers of what you need in a successful ecosystem, and, um, you know, with, part, with acquiring Black Tech Mecca, like they had a report that actually measures the health of a Black um, tech startup ecosystem and all the different pieces that need to be a part of it. So your education system, your faith-based community, how does that interplay 
into entrepreneurial support because oftentimes that's actually a first entry point for black entrepreneurs is like, who do I trust in my church to give me advice or help me navigate a startup ecosystem? And if they don't point you to an entry point, sometimes you can constantly be playing over here and never actually get integrated into the ecosystem. Um, you know, our legacy organizations, they play a big role as well. And so your urban leagues, your NAACPs, they have entrepreneurship programs that are oftentimes disconnected from the startup community. But if I'm a, you know, if I have a startup idea that's viable and I talk to this organization that are kind of on the outskirts, but they're trusted within my communities, but they're not integrated into the startup ecosystem, I may never get integrated as well. It's one of the, and I think you know this, I think you may even said that like, once you're in, you're in, right? But yep. getting in sometimes is the hard part because yep. you could just be talking to the wrong person and you end up going a hundred miles in the wrong direction. And hopefully as an entrepreneur, you don't get burnt out before you get to that point, but you meet someone that can help you kind of guide or the support systems or the platforms are there that help you navigate that space and understand like how to kind of play in that and then map out what success personally means for you once you are starting to play in that startup community. So I would say that I think Detroit has a lot of good, um, not even good, a lot, of, a lot of phenomenal programs and phenomenal people that are, are, are doing some great work. Um, Charlotte is also, you know, it comes on, on the list. Tulsa is starting to do some things. We did a Black Tech Weekend Tulsa there and was just like blown out the water of like the people there, the companies that are being built. And and I know you do work in the Midwest and so you're not surprised, but a lot of people sleep on the Midwest, man. I'm like, don't sleep on the Midwest. And so I, I, those are some places that that um, stick out in, in the immediate and some companies that I think stick out that are doing some really good work. But I think it's a when you're talking about culture um, and using culture as an asset, and then when you're talking about very specific audiences, you can't just look at the normal markers in which we look at um, should be players or, or how we measure impact. You have It has to be more nuanced into um, how that culture works, lives and plays and how that plays in ultimately plays in impacting the entrepreneurial success journey within a city. Yeah, and we know a little bit about Detroit from our work there. And what we've seen mm -hmm. is that this work takes decades. Yeah. You, you want to plant the seed now for what right. your city is going to look 20, 30 years from now yeah. uh, with su you know successive programs, things that you've learned, you put back, you tweak. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as we go around the country, we're trying to highlight these cities that are doing great work with a very intentional uh, diversity. I'm going to ask you one last question and then also a little bit more about how people can find you. But the last question is if there are practitioners listening to this podcast or wondering, what can I do to start? So what's the best advice you've heard that helped you uh, stay focused and, and bring about this change that you uh, see today in Miami? You know what? My favorite book is Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And he talks about your zone of genius. And I would say that. I would say do that matrix work. Um, really understand what your zone of genius is. Um, you know, he goes through four quadrants, like your zone of incompetence, your zone of competence, your zone of excellence, and your zone of genius. And I think if we're lucky enough, we end up in the zone of genius box within our lifetime. And we really, truly support and do our work at the highest level that we possibly can. Um, I always like to take his matrix one step further and not only just look at the zone of genius, but everything that you put into like what you feel your zone of genius is. That is you saying, I'm the best in the world at this thing. Because your city and your community and entrepreneurs really need you to be working 
in the area which you feel that you are the best in the world at. That doesn't mean doing everything. I think in the beginning, you kind of do everything. But if you can really truly be a connector, um, and then whatever your gift is, is connected to that, I think that is the true power of being an ecosystem builder in a city. And so that should take you to your zone of opportunity. And you got to get to your zone, not opportunity zones, but you know. But like using your, your gifts and being able to not only create opportunities for yourself, but also create opportunities for the people that you were ultimately trying to serve. I think a lot of us end up spending way too much time in like this zone of low return. Like we're doing all these things that either don't have a return for us personally and what our goals are. Um, and don't actually have a return to our cities. And then that's where you have a really hard time of measuring the things, these things, because you're just like, I shouldn't be doing it. Like, why the hell am I doing this thing, right? And so if you find yourself asking yourself that a lot of times, do get the book, do the quadrant work. I promise you it's gonna change your life. It's changed my life over the past two years since I've been introduced to that. But I, I, would, I would say that. And then I think this whole notion around impact and income is also really important and not a conversation that we have enough. Like I, you know, if you are trying to be the light and you are struggling to pay the light bill, you ultimately don't serve anyone at all. And so however you can monetize your genius as an entrepreneurial support organizer or organization, you have to do that. You have to be a well-fed person so that you can be, you know, servicing people not from a scarcity mindset, but from an abundance mindset, because that's what our communities need. I think we have so many people that are so passionate, but they can't connect the dots because they are also trying to think like, how can I survive enough to make sure that this happens? And so I would say from the highest level, if funders are listening, like fund and support like ecosystem builders so that they can wholeheartedly do this work and they can also navigate in wealth circles and be able to confidently have those conversations so that that money then comes back to the communities, the organizations, and the programs so that they can be supported and sustainable for the long term. I think too many people in our space are being burnt out because they're trying to navigate all of these different things. And if we can create more well-fed um, ecosystem builders, we create more well-fed communities and startup ecosystems. How can people find more about yeah. you and your work? Um, I'm personally very easy to find on social media. I'm at Felicia Hatcher on absolutely everything because it's very easy for me to remember. And, um, and then our work um, at uh, Black Tech Week and um, at uh, CFBI, which is Center for Black Innovation. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, we've learned so much. I've written down a bunch of stuff. I'm going to go back and research. And we're going to continue to focus on building up ecosystem building as a practice and equipping our ecosystem builders with insights from other communities about how we can be more inclusive. So all of your information today was very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast for entrepreneurship community practitioners hosted by David Palmraj. Special thanks to Felicia Hatcher for joining us. Cover art by show manager and creative director Mackenzie Dial Fritcher. Edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at startupspace.app. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website, 
or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe for all the latest updates.